0: It all has been well and an encouragement to you, Uh, so glad that you're with us this morning as we worship our Heavenly Father. You might not have ever heard of the name Charles Roger Hargreaves, but he was a children's author, children's book author. If you've ever studied children's literature, it's pretty interesting, a lot of good artists. I've seen art exhibits about them, you know, the the books are so small and, and simple, they have to be Extremely well-written. Mr. Hargreaves passed away in 1988, but he is a best-selling author from Britain and came up with some very memorable characters that you may remember. The first is Little Miss Sunshine. Ain't she sweet? Then there is Mr. Happy. Of course he is. And then there's Mr. Tickle, who is well-suited for the job. But then there is Mr. Grumble. Mr. Grumble complains about everything. The start of a new day, the countryside, and even parties. One day he met the wizard, which is a primary character in these books, I suppose, both at his afternoon walk and at Little Miss Fun's party. And this grumbling person was turned into a pig, which made everyone laugh. At the party. Now you're you might be one of the ones behind Mr. Grumble, or maybe you're this purple character right here, someone who complains a lot, someone who has a negative outlook on life, and makes sure that everyone knows it. Someone perhaps that's even reflected in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled, complained, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why did the Israelites grumble? Do we grumble? Why do we complain? And if so, what does this do to our spiritual lives, the congregation, and our influence for Christ? It's just a few words, right? But as the New Testament and other passages teach us, our words make a tremendous difference on the lives of people. It can do great things or it can do harmful things, however we might use our words. This morning we're going to focus on what complaining can do. What complaining can do to you it can do to the lives of others. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says, do all things. "...without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world." So you see, grumbling or not grumbling puts you in in one of two categories. Paul tells the Philippians, you know, don't grumble, don't dispute, so that you will prove that you are a child of God. Otherwise, you are putting yourself in the category of a crooked and perverse generation. And guess what? You're supposed to be lights there. You're supposed to be lights for Christ in this generation, but instead, instead you're complaining, you're grumbling, or you're murmuring. What does complaining get you? All behavior makes sense, even when it doesn't. All behavior makes sense because it gets something for that particular person. Complaining is getting somebody something. Those who complain or grumble, they typically have an agenda. As you read the word grumble in Exodus chapter 16, and it's used several times in the New American Standard, as you read the word grumbling or, or murmuring, or complaining, you get the sense that there's an agenda behind it. You know, if I'm at a restaurant and my french fries are cold, I might grumble or complain, but I've got no agenda, you know, to take down the restaurant. It's not my agenda. But when people in an organization, in a home, in a congregation of the Lord's church, grumble or murmur, they very well might have an agenda. And if they can't put their finger on it, I bet Satan can. I bet Satan knows what he's doing by putting that complaint in your heart, by putting that, that grumbling. You see, those who complain only want to sway, but may want to sway people to their side, or perhaps they, they only see the negative in things. And this can harm the health of a congregation, and it can harm your spiritual health. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16, please. Exodus chapter 16, we'll be in there throughout the morning, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading, but you'll be turning there. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1, it says this, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which could also be translated Zin. you see the word Sin here, it's not necessarily at all associated with the word Sin that we read, it's just a similar uh, name or spelling. This wilderness of sin is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. This day marked one month when the children of Israel had left Egypt. They were headed towards Sinai, and as you see the word sin there, you may think, oh, this is going to be ironic, and indeed it is. For throughout this chapter, you see the children of Israel wanting other things, not wanting to follow God, indeed, engaging in sin, disputing what Moses and Aaron and their heavenly father are trying to do. The journey of the Israelites, wherever you might read it in the passages of the Old Testament, is much like our journey as individuals and as a congregation. In a congregation, there will be prosperous times and there will be difficult times. And how we handle these times is an indicator of the health of the congregation. So we must watch for things like complaining, murmuring, grumbling. We're going to talk about that this morning because this is one of the things that can indeed tear a congregation apart. It is what the Israelites did throughout their history, but we'll read a lot of it here in Exodus chapter 16. Grumbling and murmurings happen many times in Scripture, and the results are never good. So what does complaining do? Complaining, first off, undermines the leadership. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Some here would rather be slaves and have their fill of food then be free and get their needs met just as well. Moses and Aaron and God were trying to lead the people to a better place. They pulled them out of slavery, which sounds good to me, does it not? You don't want to be a slave. Moses leads them out of slavery, and they're gone a month, and they start complaining. We would have rather stayed a slave and been filled had our bellies full than to come here and die in the wilderness. Certainly, dying of hunger is a a horrible, horrible thing. But to have witnessed those plagues and seen Moses and and other miracles that have happened, and then you question your leaders at this point, the one who led you out of slavery, it's got to sound like a good thing, and you start to question them, got to wonder what's going on with the people. Well, certainly what's going on is they're undermining their leadership. Moses, Aaron, and God were trying to lead the people to a better place, but they complained. Better places are sometimes less comfortable, but sometimes better for you. But the people couldn't see it. This is what abundance does to you. This is what comfort does to you. It adds complacency to your life, where you don't really care about what's going on, and you don't see what's happening to you, what's really happening to you. The fact that you're a slave to someone. Comfort makes people weak and unable to see the true state of their life. And then when things start to change, even if things start to change for the better, let the complaints begin. Humans quite often disagree with their leadership. This is understandable, of course, when there is poor leadership. In poor leadership, these leaders don't understand the needs of those they lead. They think of themselves first, and they might even have impure motivators, such as pride rather than mercy or grace or compassion. Good leaders do the opposite of that. And what we often forget is that leaders, our leaders and our deacons, our elders and our deacons put a lot of thought into what they do. Our elders and deacons, I know, lose sleep as they consider what is best for the individuals here in the congregation. Our leaders here go to God in prayer asking for guidance. They want what's best for us here. And their families bear the burden of a man struggling to do what he considers to be right. Moses and Aaron didn't make their decisions haphazardly. They went to God. Our leaders here do much, much the same. Some people think they can do a better job after having thought about an issue for 30 seconds. Isn't that frustrating? You might be a a leader in in your job, in your position, and you've thought about it, you've poured over it, and you you say something that you thought you made a good decision. Somebody who's had that idea for about five seconds thinks they have a better idea than you. Indeed, that's frustrating. Instead of prayer and the crippling burden of a person's soul, people will, as we might say, shoot from the hip and grumble against those who are doing their very best to care for them. May we see the importance of those in leadership positions here, for it is how God has set up the organization of the Lord's church. It's how God has has set up the family for there to be leaders, for there to be effective leaders who want to see what's best for those that they care for. And may we never grumble against them in the manner that the Israelites did here against Moses and Aaron. Good leaders... Listen to those they tend to. They listen to them. And the leadership here, listened to the Israelites. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. So God heard the grumbling. Concerned over food, they wanted to know what they would be eating. God, God heard them. Good leaders, you see, Hear what the people need. And so God told Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. The leader, the creator is providing. But he wants to see if they'll follow his word. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron take part in this, as do the children of Israel and their portion. The leadership listened to the Israelites, but but would the Israelites listen to the leadership? That's what God wants to have happen. He even mentions that in the passage. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. and We shall see if they will do what I instruct them to do. Complaining undermines leadership those who have been given the task of ensuring things go well here in a myriad of ways particularly though our spiritual health which brings us to our next point for complaining can hurt your spiritual growth the israelites had needs and god was going to meet them he was going to do that anyway but he heard their complaining and decided to to meet their needs Aaron and Moses spoke to the Israelites about how they would be fed. Quail in the evening and bread in the morning. Let's look at verse 6 of Exodus chapter 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? So they hear what's going on. And he's about to show them. So God's going to meet your needs and you will know that he is the Lord your God. Aside from the fact that you've already done all these other wondrous things. But you're going to know, you're going to see, and you're going to understand that he is the Lord your God. Let's jump down to verse 18. So they were to gather up bread and, and so forth as they went out uh, in the mornings, and quail would be ready for them in the evenings. Verse 18, when they measured the bread with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. So they they went, you see, and, and gathered as much as they needed. They wouldn't have more than they needed. They would have just the right amount. Moses said to them, let no man eat, leave any of it until morning. Now, if you've ever gone to O'Charlie's or Cracker Barrel, there's never enough bread, is there? I know I got a plate of spaghetti coming at Olive Garden. More breadsticks, more breadsticks, we say. Because we want as much as we can have, we want that excess. But the people were told go and get only what you need. Now, that takes some. You know, some fortitude that takes some physical strength to to not eat more than you need. There's a spiritual component in some ways as well. As the people here were told by God, only do what I instruct you to do. God has a purpose for what he tells us. God has reasons for how he instructs us. But sometimes we complain because we think we know better. Verse 19, Moses said, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They felt as though, apparently, that what God gave them wasn't enough. I can hear the people complaining now, only an Omer, which was a dry measurement, only an Omer, I think I'll get some more. They won't miss it there there's plenty there's plenty lying around the people thought they knew better than God so they complained disobeyed him and then the trouble started then the trouble came because the people thought they knew better Moses doesn't know what he's talking about Aaron doesn't know God I, I know better I don't care what scripture says I know better we sometimes say and we complain against God. God, Moses, and Aaron were working to care for the Israelites. And they made things difficult by not following God's commands. God put two men in place to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses led them out, and Aaron was a part, and all these things are, great things are happening to them, and they're finding things to complain about. God sent His Son to die for mankind. And we think that obedience will be easy. The Israelites were doing what they were doing. It wasn't, wasn't easy for them, no doubt about it, but they thought they knew what was best. God sends His Son to die for us, and now we think we know what is best. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. As you consider the complaints of the Israelites, you know, we wish... We were back in Egypt, pots of meat, all kinds of bread that we would need. We wish we were back there. Certainly when they were led out, it's a new dynamic. It's a new reality for them. Change is difficult, you see. And when you become a Christian, things don't necessarily get easy, at least not in the way that some people think that it should. And so some become disenchanted and then fall away. Christian life is wonderful. In many ways, it is easier once you follow the teachings, however, of Scripture. And here's one such indicator. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Rejoicing in trials? I'm not sure, Lord. Why? So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Being tried, Lord, I'm not sure about that. I think I'd rather be a slave. I think I'd rather be tied up in worldly pleasures. I think I'd rather not worship you. I think I'd rather not give of my means, rather not give of my money and contribution on Sundays. Think I'd rather do other things, Lord, because this trying stuff doesn't sound like I I should be rejoicing. You've not gotten into it enough yet. See, the children of Israel were just beginning their journey one month into it. They needed time to develop their faith. You perhaps need time to develop your faith. What you don't need to do is complain about what's going on, but see the spiritual wisdom that can be found in in passages such as this. I'm I'm tormented, I'm tried, because I'm going against what the world says. I'm proving my faith because I'm not listening to what people of the world say. I'm trying to listen and trying to do what God says. Whenever I do that and I follow Him, I'll be blessed. But you see, there are still complainers out there. Complainers who complain about stuff like this or complain about all sorts of things. And they start trouble, we read of this in Jude 1, verse 16 says, these are grumblers, these these evil people, he's referencing from earlier in the passage, these evil people are grumblers, finding fault. That's what complainers do. They find fault with something. As good as things might go, let me find something wrong with it. Let me find something wrong with it so I can show how smart I am so I can show that maybe I have a better idea, so I can pull people to my side, so I can start a dispute, so I can start a division. Let me allow this complaint to come forth. This grumbling. Following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Then down to verse 19, he continues the thought, these are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly-minded, devoid, Of the Spirit. Those who grumble, those who complain, are not following the Spirit. I wonder how much complaining was going on when Noah built the ark. How much complaining was going on when Jesus was trying to go from town to town and teach others that he was the Christ. Another mile, Lord, I can hear some of maybe the disciples complaining about that. But no, rather, they saw the good that was going on. An ark that will save mankind? Where's my, where's my nails? Where's my ruler? Lord, You're the Christ. You're going to come and save the world? How far, Lord, do I need to go? What do I need to do in order to reach those people for You? But too many of us, unfortunately, may be reflected in Romans 2 but to those who are selfishly ambitious, those who are contentious, those who may complain, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. May we listen to God's instructions for our spiritual growth, because they're there for a reason. You see how the Israelites struggled with what they were told to do. May we not do that. But may we listen to our leaders. May we listen to our spiritual guide. May we see that some trials are for our own spiritual growth. For this may be the will of God. Complaining blinds you, finally, to God's will. People, many times, can't see what's in plain sight of them. Many of you who might watch a lot of movies that are out. Some of them aren't worth watching, but a lot of them are pretty entertaining. They'll have Easter eggs. You'll go back and, and watch this movie and you'll find that little hidden gem, a reference to a past story or maybe another movie. A lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to see quite often. But you think to yourself the whole time, that was there the whole time, and I never saw it. How did I miss that? Sometimes complaining will keep you from seeing what God's trying to do in your life. While Jesus was working in John chapter 6, He did some pretty spectacular things, to say the least. He fed the 5,000, He walks on the water, and He references the Israelites eating manna, the story we're talking about this morning, and explains how He Himself is the bread of life. Jesus was trying to show the people. He was the Son of God, but they could not see it. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 26. He'd been speaking for quite some time here. He, like I said, fed the 5,000 that performed other miracles. And so he's, he's laying it out there, but they can't see it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Jesus was walking in the shallows. Maybe it was just a foot deep. But who knows? Or maybe the 5,000. You know, that was kind of stale. The bread and the fish, those things, you know, they weren't seasoned quite right. Not how I like it. Maybe they're complaining about these things. You're the bread of life. Who do you think you are? Forgetting the miracles he had just shown them. John chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do? So that we may work the works of God. So Jesus called them on what they were doing. It sounds like the bread was pretty good. You know, you're following me because you saw that miracle. You need to follow me because of the teachings. And they say, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent me, whom he has sent. So they said to them, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? You might call this a microaggression. They just saw him perform some of these miracles. Lord, what signs do you do? I'm still not impressed. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Talking of himself, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Not too impressed with what he had done, I suppose, and they, wanna, they want more, and he tells them, you still do not believe. How often do you ask God to send you peace, and you neglect it, to send you blessings, and you don't count them, to send you friendships, and you push them to the side? Because it's not good enough. It's not what you thought it should be. Because you know better than God. Because you're walking outside and and picking up manna, picking up blessings, picking up the bread that rained from heaven, and you're saying, kind of small, not big enough. My Omer, maybe if we were two, we could be all right, and I wouldn't complain quite so much. But you do. And in that complaining, you are blind to God's will. So we need to start complaining less. And the way to do that, four easy steps to complain less. Make the decision to complain less. Because it is a decision. Many of us are very automatic in our complaining, so you might have to take an extra second to think, what's this complaining actually going to do? Is it going to hurt someone? Is it going to hurt me? Perhaps God is trying to do something in my life So decide to complain less. Next, complain only in instances when you believe it will affect real and positive change. Sometimes complaining is necessary. This is known as instrumental complaining. It's where you think that what you say to someone might prove constructive, might might prove to be instructive for that person. Real change comes quite often when people decide there's a positive change that needs to happen and I want to see to it that it does. Consider next whether affirmation or some other strategy will work better. Sometimes things need to be pushed along for change not because they're negative or you want to see it happen so you'll start complaining, but rather what is needed in those moments is some type of positive affirmation. Something that someone can see and hear, and they start moving more in that direction. Because you didn't complain, but because you saw the good that was in them. And lastly, notice it when people complain around you. Because this behavior does rub off on you if you're not careful. As I mentioned a moment ago, there is an effective Form of complaining called instrumental. And this is about solving problems. When something is going wrong, if you didn't complain, it might continue to go wrong. And that, of course, would not be good at all. Are you complaining like the Israelites who were given what they needed and still grumbled? Or do you complain like Jesus who saw needs in other people's lives and said, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to show them where they need to change. And perhaps you need to complain about your own life because you're not a Christian yet. Because you're not uh, in a saved state because you've not put on Christ in baptism. And if you have not, I hope that you'll come forward this morning, let us baptize you. That you might be added to the body of Christ as Acts chapter 2 and other passages instruct. Don't complain about about what you think might be better or different, or complain that you haven't done it yet, and make that change this morning. Or if you are a Christian and have strayed from the faith and you know you need to do better, complain to yourself and come forward and let us pray for you so that you might get back on track. If you have either of those needs, come forward now as we stand and sing. Gentle voice of Jesus. Amen.